0: Oh la la, the podcast is brought to you in association with Expedia. Expedia's app puts the world at your fingertips. You can choose from an endless range of destinations, from European cities like Amsterdam and Paris, to the shores of the Algarve and Dubai, and even the UK, pourquoi pas? Make sure you download the Expedia app for inspiration. Hello, I'm Fred Siriex and welcome to my podcast, Olala. Oh well, some of you might be wondering what it means. What is this podcast about? Well, olala oh is a very simple word. And as I said it, I just had a big grin on my face. You know, it happens every time I say or hear it. And what's really interesting to me is that the same happens when others say or hear it. You know, it's like we're all conditioned with the same reaction to the sound of this beautiful, magical word. Let me do it again. Let's try. Oh la la. You see? It works. I think it's because it's kind of naughty, isn't it? And you are all naughty people. That's why you're listening to this podcast. You know, for me, it's like a feel-good sensation you get as you hear it. And the brain just can't help but to react positively to it. We just smile automatically and without even thinking about it. It makes you lie on your feet. makes you feel awake because it is pure pleasure and goodness. You know, for all of us, life can be so hard, so unpredictable. And we all have our share of pain. But oh la la takes it away in a flash who is about fun enjoying oneself and being in the moment you know for me it encapsulates what socrates was saying the meaning of life is about the pursuit of virtue basically that's very simple it's knowing what is good and bad right and wrong brings about the best in people, and people are what makes life so exciting because without people there is no life, there is no joy, there is no light. And we have no time to lose, life is so short. We owe it to ourselves to enjoy life, learn and make a difference. Well that's my motto anyway. So for me, meeting wonderful human beings, creating and sharing special bones and to deeply connect with them, this is what it's about. Because in the end what matters in our relationships with others is whether there is trust, and this is what I am seeking, a special encounter. Anyway, let me just do it again, one more time, let's see how you feel about it. Listen to this, are you ready? Oh la la, here we go, life in all its beauty. And today, I'm really pleased and honoured to welcome on the podcast, award-winning comedian, Russell Kane. How are you, Rosson? Bonjour. Uh, I'm well. Ça va? Yeah, very good. Thank you. So, tell me, I've got to ask you, what does "oula oh, la" mean for you?
1: Oula la! la. It, uh, to me, if I if I hear that, it's someone's feeling has reached such a peak. It's like okay, it's it's the linguistic equivalent of laughter. So when someone laughs, their body has reached such a stage where words no longer function. So a laugh comes out, like an animal reaction. So I do blah, 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 joke, and then comes out. They can't help it. So ooh la la is, is almost one step before that. So we're going to be doing X today, and then X will happen, and so will Y. Ooh la la, that sounds amazing. It's a little linguistic space where we can express joy. Out it comes, like the icing on the top of the sentence. I mean, it's
0: also the way we say it, right? Because there's many ways to say "oh la la." I mean, you can say "oh la la," you know, like that surprise, you know, kind of shocked, astonishment, yeah. right? But there is also that joy, that feeling of joy when you say, oh, it just, you know, you just say, and 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 it makes people feel excited just because of what you've seen. But also, it's your intonation. Now, I've I've read in one of your interviews that um, you were saying that you could be quite camp. Or people would describe you as camp. They would. But when you say "oh la la," You know, there is this kind of, it's kind of exotic, it's kind of camp in a way, don't you yeah, think?
1: Yes, it's, it's also what a lot of British people will say when they realise they're going to Paris for the weekend, as it's the first thing they can think of to do with, I'm going to Paris, oh la la, that'll be nice, just as a French thing to say. Yeah. As a funny French, uh, It might. it's either that or shall we have a baguette, Gary? So no, it's
0: true. They say that. But in the same time, when people talk about the French people and they say, oh, la, la. I mean, it's funny because we're talking about this, this, this campness thing, you know, which is interesting because people think very often about French people as as all being very camp. Yes. And and if you see a waiter in a restaurant, you know, people say, oh, my God, this guy, he must be gay. But actually, he's just French. No. You just get... the way
1: he sounds and speaks. You think of French people like they could be a waiter in a restaurant. He's just served you an Aperol spritz. He goes for his break. And a French person on his break, in your mind, is reading a slim volume of poetry next to a fountain whilst pondering on the deeper meanings of life. But they do. Whereas uh, <laughs> someone on break from Pret in London's probably gone for a cigarette round the corner and to use a boats voucher.
0: Yeah. So why is this about? You know, it's about our perception of people, right? And, mm. and, and, and the way we think about them. But actually, it's baseless,
1: isn't mm. it? Of course. Well... Where does it come from? Maybe, maybe not. But from my point of view, from my trade, which is uh, comedian, it's good to have some stereotypes to kick about because they can be very funny. Uh, Whether they're based in truth or not, whether they are true, statistically true, it's good if you've got some sort of cultural identity you can mock. So, for example, I'm from the southeast of England, where there is hardly any cultural stereotypes you can play with. No, not, no one's going to go on stage tomorrow and make jokes about Hampshire. You know, a like typical Kent joke or Hampshire joke. Luckily for me, I come from the one corner of the country in the, in the south where there's loads of stuff to unpack. Essex, loads of stereotypes about sexuality, intellect, body type. So for me, I welcome it. I welcome these presumptions because a presumption can be quite funny. It's an archetype which can be interrogated and made fun of. There's loads of humour in that. If all of that were to be dispelled tomorrow, a lot of jokes would die. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. For sure, it would die. Well,
0: it's interesting you talk about uh, stereotypes uh, because I mean you—you you are really not the the, the person that that, 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 I, that I would imagine would come from Essex. I mean, I was so impressed when I listened to you on stage. I mean, it's like you machine gun words, you know, out of your mouth. How can you remember so many words?
1: Well, you—you you have how a, can you do it? You have a spine of the show that you're going to follow. It's like anything. It's the illusion that it's difficult, but it's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hours of practice and, and rehearsal. So this current tour is two hours long. I did 30 previews. In fifty-seaters before I even went into a thousand-seater theatre, so once you've done something thirty times, it tends to it tends to sink in. But this this stereotype thing you talking about is really interesting because we, we, we both come from places where you could just talk for an hour about being French, and if you're being funny about it, people will just lap up the word. There's so many stereotypes of France. France is culturally in the stereotype world is like the opposite of Essex. Like everything you could think of, Essex would be the opposite. Like poetry, wine, food, loving. Every, really? whether, whenever I get a French person in the audience, because I get people to shout out countries and see if I can improvise, I always say you take any aspect of French culture, and British is almost comically opposite, whether it's whether it's to do with our cooking or uh, the stereotypes about lovemaking or, or language. It, France, for us, at the other end of that tunnel, occupies this mythic space. That's why there's so much rivalry and mockery there, because we're so close and so different. Like siblings, who you can't believe are related. So I take the example of cheese. This is just one I do on, right. on stage. If you look at the British attitude to cheese compared to the French attitude, to cheese, there's everything you need to know about the two countries right there. Anyone listening to this who's from the UK, their cheese, I'll tell you now, is in the fridge. It's cheddar. It's rock hard. It's wrapped in foil, cling film. You need a bread knife to get through it. It's strong and stable. It's British cheese for British people. Strong and stable. Yeah, French cheese, it is left out on the side for many days until it becomes illiquid. It goes with many men in a night. Its name is Camembert. It stinks. It stinks beautifully. You know, so you, I, I just, even something as tiny as cheese, I can go, I'm off on one, playing with these received stereotypes and images. I love stuff like that. But people love the
0: French accent, you know, I mean, and they love French people when they speak English. You know, people say, oh, my God, you sound so sexy. But I don't think it sounds sexy.
1: No, but French guys over here, they, it must be so easy for them pulling in the UK. Is it? I mean, I mean all you got to do is say, excuse me, can you pass me the salt? And the pants are on the floor. Excuse me, will you pass me the salt, please? No, I will pass you my knickers, though, and get an Uber. We're going back to mine. <laughs> it's like, when you've got my accent, it's completely impossible to pause. You know, may I buy you a Jagerbond, please, Tracy? You've got to work twice as hard. I, I, I'm assuming that my accent for French women is not sexy. I'd be. I would find it hilarious if it, if the Essex accent was no, sexy and I think France. that the English accent is very sexy for French women. Do you think so? Yeah, definitely. No, I think a certain type of thing, if you sound like Hugh Grant or something, yeah, if you're speaking like, I'm sorry, sorry, I, I appear to have spilt tea on my shirt. Oh, God, I'm terribly clumsy, maybe.
0: No, because you sound like that. You know, it's very good. I mean, the, the thing is, with this accent thing, it's interesting because then I start to listen to myself speaking English, you know, and in the same time, I think, yeah, it does sound sexy. And if I speak French, I'm thinking, yeah, it
1: sounds sexy too. So there must be some truth in it if I think it. Yeah, well, there's very and of course there's very different French accents. Of course, the Parisian accent very different. If, you're, if you come from the south, you know there's a, there's a world of difference. The situation. Parisian
0: accent, you know, the Verlan. You know about the Verlan, which mm. is saying the words in reverse. No. So Verlan it means à l'envers. So it's like if you're saying, for example, um, hello, and you would say lohé, hey, for example, right? <laughs> so you just say in reverse. It's a bit like South East London. <laughs> you know, it's this kind of slang that you speak on the street. And back in the day when it really all started I think it was kind of the 90s you know end yeah. of the 80s beginning of the 90s when rap started to come up I remember uh, N.W.A. run D.M.C., you know and all these guys started in America and then they, they, they started in France people started to like them and this is when really this language started uh, and it all
1: started with America really I'm, and fa- I'm a big fan of do you know MC solar yes of course I love his stuff I can't understand hardly any of it but I love it why
0: I do you like him is it the the, the, the words is it the, the, the flow of his flow, words I think
1: French apparently Croatian is the best language language for flow in, in hip hop apparently so i'm told but it's just f- french just it just flows better i mean literally you've got more w- word endings that are similar more stru- structures that are similar so it just sounds great in, in rap it just does so tell me, you, you've sent me um, a quote here. I've got
0: it here and, and I really love it. When I got it this morning, I, I kept thinking about it. And uh,
1: anyway, here is the the, the, the quote from Russell. My, my quote is from Iris Murdoch and it's the Iris Murdoch, novelist and philosopher. And it's this, love is the extremely difficult realisation that something other than oneself is real. Love is the extremely difficult realisation that something other than oneself is real. How profound is that shit? So it's not until you get to about 16 or 17 that you fall in love for the first time that you realise how true that quote is. You could define love as something being more important than your own existence. True love, for example. So if someone, who, anyone who's got children will know what that feels like. It literally would lay down your, your life for your child. No, it's
0: true. I mean, when I had my, my children, you know, it seemed like I suddenly understood straight away what love meant, whereas before I didn't. No you know, it's kind of different realisation. Like, but then it's don't French. Say that
1: to, don't say that to your wife. <laughs> no.
0: I mean, Finally, I know
1: what real affection feels like.
0: Get out of my house, you bitch. I'll just leave the kids. <laughs> but you know, but I think, in you know, the same time, when I say that, I almost feel bad because obviously, you know, I was born to, 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 to lovely, loving parents, you know, I have a lovely family. But that link, that bond that you have with your children is, is like no other. And suddenly it's kind of crowned you, you know, it's kind of, you feel your roots
1: down on the ground, doesn't it? But even, but even rom- romantic love, if it hits you hard enough, I call it Ebola love, first love, because it's, it hits you like Ebola. Where you're like, I'm going to be sick. And it makes you bleed. It, 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 makes, it, make, it, it does, metaphor I, I feel sick. Uh, even, I can remember being 16 and my girlfriend was just going away for the weekend with her parents. To, and I felt like I was gonna die because I wouldn't see her for two days. Like I was gonna throw up in the toilet and die. the the love and and that that person's existence becomes more important than your own. You suddenly, realize that something other than you is real. But is it real? But
0: this reality that you're talking about, is it real? Because I can relate to what you're talking about. In fact, I also can remember a quote from Alain Delon uh, when he was saying in the 60s or something that he was talking about his love for Romy Schneider, which was a a very famous, beautiful actress in the 50s and the 60s. And he said about her that uh, the first love is a love that you remember all the time, all your life, because it's a love that you think will last forever. But you know, the song, you know, now that we found love, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? With it with it. Yeah. So do you know what I mean? What are we gonna do with it? Because you're talking about your girlfriend, yeah, and you you, you you know, for two days, you're 16, she's not gonna be here. What are you gonna do with your life? And this quote is about love is the extremely difficult realization of something other than oneself is real, so suddenly it becomes real. But the situation that you're in when you're thinking about what you're going to do for two days when she's not here, is this real? Because I, to, to I can me,
1: relate to what you're telling me. To, That's why I'm just, I, I, I am still looking for the answer. To, to me, what the quote means is you could quite easily, and some people get to 30 years old before they realise you are not the centre of the planet. That's what that quotes me. You are not the capital of Earth. And some people need to kick up the arse to realise something other than them is important and love can be the mechanism where you go, oh shit. But is it also the realization that you will die one day? Mm. Is it
0: linked to that? Because until I was uh, in my late thirties, I did not think of death. No, you know, I try didn't stand up to die it,
1: five nights a week. Do you
0: know what I mean? I did not think it was going to happen. Now no. I know it will happen, and and I don't know whether there is a connection there. Because when you're talking about that 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 love, you know, with with that person, you know, that you just met, and you don't know what what's going to happen. I mean, suddenly, I just I'm just questioning whether it is actually real what we're thinking, or whether we are imagining a situation that we want uh, 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 to become real. You know, and some people, for example, I met somebody on no. on 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 the first date hotel recently, and he told me this man was about almost thirty five, forty, has never actually been in love before. Mm. And I have been in love. I remember my first love. I was 16, uh, and I remember when 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 this girl uh, broke up with me because that's what happened uh, eventually. You know, uh, she came to my house. It was it was a it was a, a, a summer love. You know, I was working with her in the same restaurant. I came back home, and uh, and she had dumped me. And, and I go on the sofa. My dad was there. I said, "What are you What are you doing? What's up?" And I went. You know, Eurydice dumped me. She had this great name, her name was Eurydice. and she dumped me and he and he just put his arm around me like I I went to lay on his uh, on on the sofa, you know, with my head on his shoulders and I was crying. I remember crying. Um but there was no future with her. And I don't know what I was <laughs> expecting. You see what I mean? It was just that was it infatuation? You was just it just
1: realised what was it? You've just realised that something other than you is the more important. It's the, that's what this quote is saying. I would say it's the opposite of what you're saying. It's a down-to-earthness in this quote where you really are realising what's real. Before, you could run around going, what is real? What has meaning? Is this happening? But when someone rips your heart out your chest or runs off with your best friend, you're going to fucking know what's real then. Yeah, but it's real because it's pain, because you have that thing, because I really... I don't know whether it
0: was love I don't know whether it was love But it was a feeling that I had in my head I mean, maybe you could call it an addiction mm. And it was something that I suddenly became very addicted to You know, maybe some people are more
1: prone to addictions than others mm. You know, or, or I don't know what made me prone to that It just May- hits you hard the first time Like any like any drug uh, it, it, The first time you fall deeply in love Particularly if it's mixed with the hormones of a 16 year old It's going to be intense It's going to be oh, full that on that was intense I mean, my second one after that was just as bad, really. I, I, so I was with this first girl for three years, and then I met another girl when I was 19, thinking well, it can't be as bad as last time. And I was like, uh, uh, slobbing down. I, well, I call it the uh, um, kitchen floor reset. That's what I call it when I speak about it on stage. It's like a lot of people get to 18 or 19, and they think they're grown up, or even your friend you're talking about who's 34. I think the emotional wisdom tooth, i.e., the final stage of growing up, is having your heart broken. If you've not had your heart properly broken, your wisdom teeth have never come through. And I call it the kitchen floor reset. Until you put your back against a fridge and gone to the floor going, uh, uh," with double strings of snot you have not fully lived life as a human being it's the final exfoliation of the soul so does it make you grow then according yes, to absolutely. you so, so you're growing
0: let's say you're 15 16 18 you fall in love your heart gets broken broken up uh, and then you find an- another girl or another boy and then again you get you, you, you know you, 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 you your your relationship ends and and suddenly you you cry again and
1: every time you grow and you go up in in steps I believe so, yeah. in, in learning about yourself you, you could draw an analogy with um, houses. So they've just it's just in the newspaper just yesterday. In our house, I've got a three year old daughter. I've got dogs, cats. Our house is very is clean, but I never I never kept the dog away from the baby. Some people are like don't let the dog lick the baby's hands. Oh my god, what about the germs? I was like, you know what, a little bit of germs here and there, probably good in the long run. Now, whose daughter's getting ill now at school? Not mine. <laughs> Why? Because the dog licked her hands. Brilliant. Getting dumped is the dog licking your hands, putting just enough shit in you. You don't want too much. You don't want to be emotionally abused by a girl or a boy when you're 16. You don't want to be emotionally abused by a parent. But you do need a little bit of of dog spit on your hands. Otherwise, again, you're going to live life with food poisoning.
0: Then again, Russell, you know, I mean, this could be also, you know, your uh, your reasoning and justification because mm. of what you've gone through in life. Now, True. other people, for example, haven't known uh, a breakdown like that you know who are with somebody from the age of 16 and who are now happily married 40
1: years or 50 years mm. later they wouldn't be thinking like you would they? No well they would if they split up when they were 45 with no coping tools in place trust me they'll be on Tinder drinking Sambuca from a bottle wanking themselves unconscious within a fortnight
0: <laughs> This podcast is brought to you in association with Expedia Oh la la, it's about life, it's about love, and it's about adventure. And that's why I'm so pleased to have Expedia supporting my podcast. The Expedia app puts the world at your fingertips, with an endless range of destinations and tons of deals to suit everyone's taste. For the moments when you feel like splashing out on a five-star luxury, or the times you want to keep it simple in a local bed and breakfast, there's an adventure and an experience out there for everyone. Just check out Expedia for inspiration for your next trip. You know when you were talking about you know the way people feel, you know, and and I was just thinking about that quote from Shakespeare when you said there is nothing good or bad but thinking makes it so, and 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 you've done some some play of Shakespeare, and yet you know you're a big fan of of Love Island, yeah. so this kind it's of very Shakespearean, yes, almost a, uh, it's not a conflict, but you know I mean it's not your usual combination, um,
1: but I, well I, it well, doesn't if, it doesn't bother me, you know, Russell, and I think it's fantastic. Shakespeare would dif- would beg to differ, because in in his day he was. Love Island. He was very mainstream. Toothless peasants would be like, go on a fellow, stab him. It, he was very bawdy. If you look at a Shakespearean sentence, it will go from talking about Zeus and the apocalypse to someone getting noshed off. There'll be an oral sex joke at the end. He, it's called. He ba- was talking bathos. about
0: the whole of life, wasn't he?
1: Yeah. Do you know the word? Ba- bathos. No. Bathos is where you drop from something very sublime and feel like we've been doing. We'll be like, I think the thing about Descartes is this. And anyway, the other week on E4, there's there's so there's bathos, <sighs> a, a sudden drop from the sublime to the everyday or to the coarse. Shakespeare loved that. Blah blah, blah 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 blah. And at the end, you know, a drop. Right. So Shakespeare would would love the mix of high art and low art. Love Island with BBC Four. I love smashing those things together. That's where the interesting shit is. I like putting different things on a plate and seeing how they combine. That You might, you not know, I was it. speaking to Stanley Wells. I'm sure you know him. Uh, wrote lots of books about Shakespeare, you know, mm-hmm. one of the
0: biggest experts in the country. And uh, I said to him, I said, what was it about Shakespeare? What made it, what made him so good? He said, well, the good thing about Shakespeare is that he was very good at observing people. And because he observed people so well, he was ob- he was able to draw conclusions and to understand people
1: and human nature. And you strike me as doing the same thing. You just observe and... That's I mean, what stand-ups it, do. I mean, that is a stand-ups job. You look at the biggest stand-up in our country at the moment Michael McIntyre he's the just can make an observation in so economically in just a few words you'll be howling with laughter even though it's something you've done a thousand times before like he does what routine about when you go to the hotel buffet and you in the morning you come down you just sit down pointlessly for a second and then get up again and go to the buffet I mean we've all done it a hundred times we've all done it but he observed it and you're howling, laughing, even though it's something you've done yourself a hundred times. I mean, that is—that's—and it's funny
0: time. laughter because yeah, you laugh about that, but there's nothing funny about it. No, do you know
1: what I mean? It's just somebody sitting down, going
0: to the buffet, coming back, yeah. getting up again. What's it, funny?
1: Yeah. But you recognise yourself, don't you? That's the skill of uh, stand-up. Is I'm not purely observational. I wish I could write more of it because that really is where the dollar is. But I do a lot of observational stuff, and it's stuff people already know. But like, for example, the sleep thing. Everyone knows that, that most couples have one that can fucking fall asleep everywhere and one that sits up reading till three. A lot of couples... I do up. that. I sleep. I'm a partner. She goes in the other bedroom. She can't sleep. Yeah, and it, and it annoys you to see someone <laughs> sleeping, like you want to punch their head in <laughs> their content facing. But everyone's seen that. But until I observed it, no one... Laughed at it. It's, I think there's a, ca- a, cathar- a catharsis in laughter. So Sometimes you can laugh at things that would be absurd or painful or silly or humiliating. And, and laughing is a way of getting getting through that sometimes. Cathartic. Cathartic. Oh, Another good word. Discreet, I'm, I'm making one. notes. I mean, yep. you
0: love words. Where does this come from?
1: Right. So the uh, the honest truth, I might as well be honest because I've got a book a book to like talking about all my childhood and stuff. So I come from a like a welfare area of North London and Essex borders. I grew up in Enfield, Southend, around there. My mum was a cleaner. My dad was a manual labourer. There were no books in the house. So I ma- I managed to get quite far down the line with a small vocabulary, typical working-class welfare estate kid. I mean, I, I would say I got as far as 18. With I'd get, I, I may have had a natural intelligence, who knows, but it had not been used. I was just a weed-smoking waster over the park. Suddenly realised I had a bit of a gift in here. It was time to use it. How so did I, you realise
0: uh, what happened? It must be, was there a moment?
1: <laughs> yes, there was a moment. So the second girlfriend, the second Ebola love, she was from a posh background, And um, so when we were waking up in the morning after our nights out clubbing, I was waking up on her university campus because she was living in halls at the time. So I was waking up and then walking to the local train station to go and be a shop boy and work in a shop, which is what I was doing, selling watches to rich people. And so I had it shown in my face how the other half lived. She's waking up at 10am, wandering over to a lecture for an hour, learning about all these posh, amazing things like philosophy and literature, sitting around on a lawn, drinking a beer and having three months off in the summer. Why? What's the difference between me and her? I was so angry. I realised I've been tricked just by accident of my birth into being lazy. No one had come up to me and gone, you're being lazy, you might want to try doing this. No one even showed me there was another door to push on. At that point, I was like, I need to quickly now, while I'm still young enough, 1920, and I realised I've taken a wrong step. So I had to come back to the junction and enrol in A-levels. Then I needed to expand my vocabulary manually, Okay. And this is hard to do. Most people acquire their vocabulary naturally as their life goes along. I had to learn English like a second language, the same way a French person would have to learn English. So, what I did was, <laughs> this is, it's rather like a character from a Sartre novel. In fact, it's exactly like um, a character from Nausea, which is a novel by Sartre. There's a character in there called the auto. Didact, who was from my sort of background, and he decided the only way I can catch up is to start at A and read all of the authors from A to Z and keep going back A to Z artificially. How many times t- did you do that? Uh, I did it while I was doing my A-levels and while I was doing my degree just a few times. And what, what, what I did was I would start at Jane Austen and finish at Émile Zola. I'm a big fan of French literature, even though I can't read French. But I read Balzac, Flaubert, Émile Zola, Alphonse Daudet. I read all these French authors in translation. I read all of the English ones Austin Elliot uh, Conrad always Polish but you know what I mean he's writing English and what I did was every time I encountered a word that I did not know I would take the word and make an index card for that word this is a god's truth. it's actually quite shameful so embarrassing to have been. big is your index Well big. it got it got to th- it got to thousands and in the end I was so ashamed because I felt... I'm, what I'm, were you ashamed of? Because <laughs> it's fake. It's like someone you... You know when you see a, a character that you laugh at in a play? Why is it fake? Do you still believe it's fake now? No. no oh, one, good. One, once it was metabolised... And I so, for example, the word metabolizer just used. I can't tell you whether that predates my artificial injection of language or whether I would know it anyway. That's when I used to say to myself, you now know that word really. It's organic. And I would throw the card away if it had come out organically in conversation. But before that, I would find myself, you know, when I'm 18, 19, artificially using a long word and the shame. Did you feel fake? Yes. So That fir- you shouldn't have been using these words and you're saying it, you're just it's speaking fake. out of terms. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like like someone pretending to be... Something Muslim else. or pretending yeah. to be Hindu or something just to get some cred in a meeting. and uh, So the first card was the word impudent. I did not know the word impudent, which means b- uh, bold and sort of offensively bold. I encountered it in the first... Of course, I had nothing. So within a few pages of Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, which was the first book I did this experiment with, I was circling all these words. So I had to then look up impudent... I wrote the word impudent on a card, card number one. I then had to write all its cognates, i.e. the noun form impudence, the adverb. I was impudently talking to Fred. I had to know its cognate. I also had to know how to pronounce it. I can't go to my mum. How do you pronounce it? It could be impudent. Is it impudent? So I had to learn the phonetic guide for how words are pronounced. And I would put little accent. We don't have accents in English. But all of my cards had Accents, so I knew it was impudent. So there's an accent on the "i," impudent. So I had to teach myself the pronunciation as well because it was just yes, the internet was around, mm-hmm. but you couldn't click pronunciation links. I did that about two thousand times, really. Uh, and t- and I, learnt, I just I manually went back to the motherboard of my brain and inserted words that it was ready to learn. But oh, you I must have a very good memory. I I have a, a, a good elephant a, memory. A, a, an elephant will. Really stubbornness. That's I the say. will. I can, more the I, will or the memory or is it both? I, I probably have a decent memory because I need to learn lines and stand up. But I, the fact of how much I struggle to learn a script when I'm in a play is I don't think my memory is that good. But I, I, for example. But you don't seem to struggle I, my, to me when you're when you're standing up and you're telling your jokes because just so hours and hours. Of rehearsal. So, for example, the girl, same girl, funnily enough, we were smoking cigarettes in student halls, for, for, although for life insurance purposes, this is fiction. And uh she, I, I just went, I could quit smoking any time I wanted. She went, that's what people who could quit smoking say. So I went, all right, this is the last cigarette I ever smoke. No plan. I just stubbed it out in front of her halfway through. i never smoked a and cigarette. And what did she say? I she didn't think I would stick to it. But of course, I never ever smoked ever again. Well since. done. So, and it was the same with learning language. I was doing these cards on the toilet while I was walking, while I was having my hair cut, I'm, I'm just, just obsessively.
0: Do 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 people ever doubt guys. you when you said you were going to do something, and they would say, "Well, I don't think you will." Like when you put that cigarette down, and said, "I'm not yeah, going yeah, to like smoke that. again." I love a bit
1: of doubt. Yeah, yeah. That's a, what yeah, does he make you feel? Like a leg machine with weights on it that you can go and push against. Yeah, <laughs> you can't do that. Watch this.
0: Yeah.
1: Can't do. Why? So I turn my life around. I get a degree. I got a first-class honors degree. I got the highest grade of everyone on my degree. So, once I started this mental. Engine. Once I started this engine, late age twenty, couldn't switch it off. I Have to get the highest grade. Did you change the way you got you, A levels? You thought a. about
0: yourself. Did you, did you make you believe in yourself? Yes, more? absolutely.
1: I believed that. So I can do anything like what you do when you're a late teenager. But I could. I, like, I have to get not just. The, I have to get the highest grade. So I got the highest A level sociology so grade. Did that you set year.
0: out to get the highest grade, or it just no, happened? no, no?
1: No, it just happened because I was like, I'm going to smash this. So I get the highest A level grade that year. Win an award had to go to the House of Commons to collect my A-level from that Speaker of the House. I then went to uni, did the same with my degree. Of course, once you start like that, you can't stop. It's, I described it in another interview as the opposite of a nervous breakdown, like a nervous break in. Mm-hmm. Someone connected some leads and they would like some back to the future shit. Now I can't stop. Now it's with everything I do. I'm going to write a book or I'm going to do this or I'm going to develop a sitcom and a, and, and I you're apply, full of ideas. Yes, I mean you. Be you look to me very alive. Your can, eyes, I can see, they're shining. You it, know, you're smiling. It, you're alive. It can be exhausting, though, because it's hard. Can be hard to switch off. But yeah, so that. that but that's, what's that's the, the option? God, the God's honest truth is that's I'm the only person I know that acquired my vocabulary in that way. Most people started reading and naturally absorbed what words they did and what they didn't. But I did. I took. I've only just admitted this in the last couple of years because. If you've got a working class accent like I have, people don't like it if you use a long, long words. They want to call you pretentious or you're showing off. But for some reason, if you've got a posh accent, you're allowed to use whatever vocabulary you want. So I've always been very reluctant to admit that I'm manually expanding. But it's interesting me we
0: all have these, these fears also and also these perceptions
1: uh, mm. that that
0: things should be like this or like that. If somebody is gay, for example, and coming out, I mean, I was discussing uh, um, with, with Duncan from Blue, actually, in fact, you know, the, when he came out, and he, he was very, very ashamed of what it was. And for him, it was just an impossibility to to admit it to himself first and to other people. And just like yourself, saying that, you know, you, you shouldn't be speaking like this because you're from Essex. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I mean, it's like learning, you know, because... What you're saying is that it implies that you should have started to learn from the moment you were at school until the moment you leave school, maybe at
1: twenty or twenty-one or whatever. But you started when you were much later. But mm.
0: we learn all the time. You know, there's no, there's no time to learn.
1: Mm. And the re and the research, the science is catching that observation up as well. Because there was the everyone thought, oh, the brain stops developing at forty. But in fact, they're showing now the neurons carry on connecting well into your seventies. Yes, or these gents for me. Okay. Well, they they, <laughs> they argue the argument. They're starting to think that the peak decade of your life might be from from about thirty eight to about fifty one. Is your is your peak power because of the amount of wisdom and knowledge you've acquired, mixed with the brain still having that plasticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of our culture writes off people once they get past. 30, 35, and it's it's a complete wrong step. We don't value middle-aged people, and we definitely don't value old people enough. I think we throw a lot of talent in the bin. When people retire, we should be working out what can we do with our 65 and 75-year-olds. I think we're we're sitting on a resort. But isn't it also, it depends on people
0: and the way they are when they age and whether they feel that they got too much pain or or that they won't contribute or the fact that, you know, they feel that they want to maybe retire. You Mm. know, in France, for example, it's the big thing. You know, I mean, my parents, my grandparents would say, are you putting some money for your retirement? How old will you be when you retire? And I remember people having this conversation, oh, I'll retire at 60, then obviously the law changes, you know, and it's 62, 63, 65, 70. Mm. But it's that mindset that you are working, working, working to retire, and then that's it. You know, It's you have actually reached that destination, but then what do you do when you get there?
1: It's terrifying, yeah. I don't, I don't think I'm someone that will retire. Even if I'm just typing a book that will never be published, I would. Al- I will always have to work on something.
0: One of the French comedians said, you know, I want to die to die while I'm alive. His name was Coluche. <laughs> mm. Unfortunately, he bumped into a, a truck uh, on his motorbike and, and that was the end of him. But, uh, well, he uh, was alive when he died. He, he definitely was alive when he died. And, and that, for me, would be the way to go, to mm. die while you're alive rather mm. than, than die and not remember who you are, you know, True. and what you're doing. Oh, la, la, well, that's pretty deep, uh, Russell. Um, so what is it that you think that you'd like to bring to your children? You know, what would you like to teach them? What would you
1: like to give them? The main thing I'm teaching to my daughter is to realise how lucky she is and to have an appreciation of where she's starting in life because the only danger is... You could argue that the the tools that you and I have had to use to climb with, the crampons, the mountaineering spikes we've had to stick into the wall, are the very basis of our success. That's the paradox. The struggle is the success. So, obviously, Minna... If my career continues the way it is, she's not going to have those struggles I have. So I fear. How can I put that into her? <laughs> appreciate what you've got. Work for what you what you want. Well,
0: you I know, think you're just... giving
1: her such a push. Yeah. So I, I want her to appreciate where she is and to and to be able to fight for it. And obviously, her being a girl, um, I have a completely different view of things now but why you see because you because, know that's
0: because, the thing is we, we we don't bring up girls and boys the same no people have so, different attitudes
1: i well I, i'm a bit old school feminist and sociology graduate but my daughter's already said to me the other day i thought she's 3 and she's like well my my wife owns an eyelash brand and i'm a comedian so she said to me well that's what girls do girls do makeup and boys do comedy so i have to do makeup so i immediately showed her a video of Catherine Ryan and then this mm-hmm. male makeup artist we 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 know so i really i want her generation to grow up knowing that that is bollocks not realizing it when she's 18 at uni and getting angry i want her to know from her earliest memory that that is total bollocks you can you be an engineer a bridge builder a soldier an astronaut or you can be an eyelash technician it's fucking irrelevant as long as you want to do it and your passion is for that yeah, no, it's true.
0: My my, my daughter, she's in an all girl school and um I, I went there the other day and on one of the wall it instead of saying saying his story, it said her story. I really like that, you know, because I think it encapsulate what I mean what a school is about, but also for her, you know, what she should be thriving for. But when I think about my little boy who 10, he's very cuddly. He's always giving me kisses, I kiss him, you know, but my dad and I we're the same. My dad is seventy two and he still calls me my little rabbit, mon petit lapin. <laughs> You know,
1: what I mean? that sounds like something I would order at your restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I have the Patilla please. It's Excellent. very nice with the mustard sauce. You have a reservation, no need for angels. Come this way. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I, mean, I, I mean, that's why I want, for, for her as a female, she's three. So maybe by the time she's 18, that's another 15 years or whatever, all the good stuff that's happening at the moment. I, I just, you know, hopefully things will be a bit more rebalanced. It, it's We could definitely help in this country. I think it should be, if you want it, free childcare from three months old to five years as much as you need. That would level the playing field between men and women overnight. It, w- it would. because that's, And that's why you see a much more equal society in Denmark. No, it's true. But, you know, on that one, you know, I mean, the other
0: thing also is that, you know, there is also the natural order of thing. I mean, women do give birth. They do. And, and women do have breasts. And the children, you know, when they are born, they just want to go on the breast and and drink the milk. That's what happens.
1: But if the facility was in Denmark, they have a more equal society, because if you want to, if you want to as a woman, express your breast milk when you get in from work and go back to work at three months, you can. You just can. It's there. I'm not saying you should. But the option, no, this is fantastic. The there should is, be the option is there. Uh, we are very it, backward. I mean, it gets rid of it. Gets rid of the well. Someone's got to stay at home. Might as well be the one with the boobs. She's got the one with the milk. You know, get rid of that, and bang, we're we're equal, we're equal from day one. Um So that that's something you could do straight away. I do. I do. It's just on a linguistic point of view, without like getting too nerdy. Wonder if it must be worse in countries where the language is so much more gendered, like French, because for us, it blows our mind. So this is a table. It's not right. la table. Une table. Un, feminine. Un, feminine, is it? Une table. Yeah. So this isn't la, this isn't la, la or une table. And so everything's gendered in French. Ev- everything. You've got a microphone, a hand, a, a lorry. I'm trying to think of some exceptions where it's Un like, camion. Yeah. Un, un, is it un camion? Un camion. Female. It's, it's a male. Uh, it's male, right, so it's just... Easy. Une voiture is a, is a female. Right. I mean, I don't understand the logic. It's just the way it is. It's just... But given that we're so language-based human beings, it must have an effect growing up in France. I mean, you can't even point to an object in the room without saying that's a boy or that's a girl. And when you look at some things that are masculine and feminine, it is quite comical. I tell you, the most
0: difficult part in France is to say vous or tu. And, for example, for me, I've been here for 27 years And it's very easy to to speak and say you to everybody. It's Mm. not vous vous or tu, it's you. And when I go to France now, when I speak to French people, you know, sometimes I'm just wondering whether I should use tu or vous. Mm. I tell you what, as a matter of your course, I just use tu. That's it. I want to use tu to everybody. Because it's just just easier for me rather than having that difference, you know, to somebody who it would seem a bit more important than you, or somebody who's got a better job or whatever, or who's a bit older. That's
1: I just crazy. say two to everybody. And so that's why I imagine in a country like France journeys like this are even harder. I like the Germans, the fact they've got a neuter. Only yeah. the Germans could come up with a third one. Is it is it their idea? I cannot decide. Make it das. Excellent. <laughs> exactly. Well done, Commandant. I will do this. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Russell, it was really a pleasure to spend all this time with you. Thank you very much for coming on my podcast. Thank you. And uh, good luck with your book and good luck with your tour. Thank you. Thank you very much. Au revoir. A bientôt. A bientôt. all, the podcast was brought to you in association with Expedia. Expedia offers loads of great deals on flights, cars and accommodation. There are now loads of different ways travelers can book their trips and activities, from cooking courses to sightseeing and save money. Don't forget to download the Expedia app for destination inspiration at your fingertips.